Would you open God's precious holy word of Proverbs 3? Counsel for reverence and arguments for wisdom. For the most part, these are fairly easy to just slide through because it's just stuff you say, well, you know, that's right. When you, uh, you grow up the right way, you say, well, that's, 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 the right, that's the right thing. That's the right way to live, the right thing to do. What makes it so important is that it is in God's word. It's not just common sense. It's divine guidance. And so it behooves us to study it, not just reflecting on it as something from Farmer's Almanac, but looking at it reverently as the Word of God. And it just sort of, uh, it, it sort of gives us a solid foundation for the way people just ought to live in life and the way they ought to treat other people. All right, so let's look at it. There's two, I have two major divisions here, counsel for reverence. We'll look at that first in the first several verses. And then arguments for wisdom. In the first part, let's look at number one, what I call counsel to reverence. Keep the commandments. Now, these are not necessarily the Ten Commandments, although a person should strive in his life to observe the Ten Commandments. There's no doubt about that. But there are other, there are other commandments, like, you know, for example, what we saw earlier about don't hang out with the wrong people. Um, Things like that. So there's a reinforcement here of the teacher telling the, the student to be sure and observe the directions that he's being given. So it goes like this. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. Now there's a benefit to it. Here it is. For they will add to you length of days and long life and peace. Let not mercy and truth, the word means utter reliability. Maybe back up to the word mercy. Chesed, which is the word used for the covenant love of God. It speaks of the, we're talking here man to man and not God to man. So mercy, loving kindness, um, compassionate affection or compassionate care. I care for, for you because of the person that I am and therefore I am moved to do certain things for you or with you. That's, that's what the word here means, just simply translated mercy. Let not mercy and truth or utter reliability forsake you. Be this way toward people and always be utterly reliable. The word, the Hebrew word is a little broader. It, it's just that you're, you, it's truthful. You've placed your life into it and you're going to be reliable for it. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart and so find favor or grace. The word also means grace. And high esteem, the word can also be translated success. Find grace and success in the sight of God and man. So you find favor with God or grace and high esteem with man, which of course opens up the pathway to success. 
people, people admire you. They respect you. And if you follow the things that we've already talked about, remember how wisdom cried in the city and we talked about how that the successful person uh, adheres to a certain set of fundamental uh, philosophies or principles that are righteous, that are good, that are honest. And he, his life is to be contrasted with the life of those who do not. They're, they're dishonest or they're lazy or whatever. And he is always going to be more successful than those are. You just have to follow this simple set, basic set of rules and principles in life. The Bible gives them to us. Well, here, such a thing will cause you to find favor with God and men will esteem you highly. Thus, you will find success in your life because of the honor and dignity of your life. You know, we, we, let me go back to the clothing business days. We would, we would hire people from town. We had a core set of employees. My dad always liked to employ retired people who had, who had retired after many, many years in a, in a particular, in a particular uh, business or, or way of work. And he knew, not only did he know them, but he also knew that their lives reflected honesty and work. Not unreasonable, but to work. If, if I'm going to pay you for this job, I expect you to do the job. And these people, you didn't have to tell them what to do. They found things to do, things that needed to be done, not just busy work, but things that need. When you're in a clothing business, for example, you have to keep your inventory really, really neat and, and, and attractive. It can't just be thrown around. And if somebody comes in and rustles through the shirts, you know, uh, uh, how many times does this happen? And you have to go back and the shirts had to be, you know, the collar here and then the collar there and the collar had to be straight. Everything had to be just right, and you kept everything, put everything back in place. So those, those employees, even though they had retired, were still healthy and, and hardworking people, honest people, and they, they stayed on <laughs> until some of them passed away working the job, and others just simply went into complete retirement when my, when my daddy had to retire. Then on the other hand, there were others for example, during, during Christmas season, you had to have extra help. You were so overwhelmed with things, you had to help people. Back in those days, we had to, we had to, we were, we, we assisted people. We tried to sell them stuff. Um, and we had to make sure that it fit, it would fit right. Well, there were, there were those of us who could, who could work the tape and know how to fit people and take them back to our seamstress in, in her place back in the back there and make sure so one person was devoted to that and, until you got everything done and then there were other people who had to ring it up others still in Christmas time because we always had free gift wrapping so you had to have other people who would wrap the presents and this was supposed to be a well oiled machine that just, that just kept moving and then the office personnel 
had to come every hour and a half or so. And because the sales were so heavy during that season, you'd collect the cash except for, uh, uh, except for just a basic amount that you could make change with. Had to put it in one of the night deposit bags and our bank was two doors down, three doors down. Every hour and a half, take this. So somebody had to be responsible for that. Uh, there were a lot of things to do, so you had to hire extra help. And I don't know at the times that uh, somebody would come upon the recommendation of another or it was somebody's grandchild or niece or whatever. Uh, and on the basis of the recommendation, you would hire the person and the person just didn't do anything. And they'd, they'd flop around and not do, they weren't, they didn't have any initiative. If you bring a suit and a shirt and a tie and a pair of socks and a pair of shoes up here and this is a wife's Christmas present for her husband, the people on the gift wrapping table were supposed to be Johnny on the spot, right? And they had to take this and they had to appropriately fit it, fold it into the boxes that we had and then, uh, and then, and then wrap it and make it look nice. Oh, the times you would get through and you'd ring it up and everything was done, but the gift wrapping person wasn't there and you had to go find them somewhere. A lot of times their feet were kicked up in the, in the snack room back there and they were enjoying a, you know, in those times people are always bringing Christmas snacks and they're filling the little kitchen place full of that stuff. So, you know, we'd have them from time to time and we would just have to bring them in after the, after the, we, had, we always had clocks that clock in and clock out. When they clocked out, one of us would be standing there, you know, the executioner. And we'd bring them into the office, that person into the office, and say, well, thank you for your work, your service. Don't, we'll let you know when we need you again. Uh, and that was it. But here's the point. Those things that we've already studied, the things where a person follows basic principles of work um, and invests himself in, in what he's supposed to do. And he's supposed to be productive. Uh, and you're not supposed to have to ride that person all the time. You give him the job to do and he's expected to do it on his own initiative. You don't, you don't expect to have to retrain them after every coffee break. Uh, but there were those who we had that we had to. And I speak from personal experience on people like that. And I don't know at the times that when, when one of them would be, <laughs> they, some, of them, some of them were so uh, limited uh, mentally that they, they really thought we were going to call them back, you know. <laughs> they, they thought, oh, it's going to get busier and I'll come back. So maybe we should have told them straight out, you know, hasta luego, I don't know. We did it the best way we knew how without being too ugly, too hurtful. And... Oh, the times that when the day was over, it always had to be an Owens who made the final deposit, counted out finally all the cash registers, and locked the door and set the alarm. Didn't trust anybody but an Owens to do that. That's just the way Daddy was. And as we would be finishing up doing everything after we were closed and the lights were off, and the times that my dad would say, you know, that poor kid ain't gonna be worth nothing. <laughs> That's just the way he said it, you know. 
that, that, that poor guy, no wonder he's bounced around from job to job. He just doesn't apply himself and he can't go through life that way. This is what the book of Proverbs, to me, this is what the book of Proverbs is showing. How a person who is in authority, maybe a dad, teaching a younger person, these are the principles you're going to have to follow. Because if you don't follow these principles, you won't have any high esteem among men. You won't find success. And, and, and God doesn't favor lazy people. His word says if you don't work, you won't eat. So this is where the book of Proverbs is taking those commonsensical things and bringing them, putting God's stamp of approval on it and making it part of His Word. This isn't just your granddaddy talking to you. This is God Almighty telling you the way you should live if this is what you, what you want to have. In, you want, who doesn't want to have favor with God? Who doesn't want to succeed via the highway of high esteem with your fellow man. I don't want to be ill thought of, if, especially if I'm in the, I'm just going to happen to me, I can, you know, but it's, it's going to happen to everybody. But I don't look for that. I don't want that. I would prefer and tr hopefully try to apply myself so that God's favor is on me. And I'm not just talking about church. I'm talking about just work, just living, living the life that God has given to us. So this is what he refers to here when we say, keep the commandments. Here are some rules that are etched in stone that in every generation will always prove to be positive for your life. Now, if you don't want to do that, then contrarywise, instead of finding the success, you will stumble into failure. Trust the guidance of Yahweh. My son, do not forget. Whoops, that's not the right one. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart. In the Hebrew, it starts out with all your heart. It starts out with the whole person. This statement, the whole everything you are. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. I've done that sometimes. I have leaned on my own understanding. It was not pleasant. Abraham at a certain time leaned on his own understanding. A couple, was it Levi and Simeon? The, the two sons who, who, who tricked those guys and, and killed them, slaughtered them, tricked them into circumcision, and then when they were sore and couldn't fight well, they went in and killed them. They, they worked with their own understanding, you see. They're, they're Bible people who are like that. Peter worked with his own understanding. I had to drown on that particular day. So it's never good to go into any aspect of life. I don't care what it is. Um, vocation. Where to go to church. How to serve the Lord in church. How can I serve the Lord. Who to marry. How to deal with your children. Where to go to school. Every, every decision, every aspect of life needs to be placed under the guidance of Yahweh. 
Don't trust yourself. You, you have a, a flawed eye. We all have a flawed nature that will deceive us if we depend on it too much. Don't do that. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. I'm so burdened and troubled, I'm sure you all are, about the path of our society, the path that we're on. It's unbelievable. Sometimes you just want to take people off the show and say, what are you thinking? What's wrong with you? How can this thought and this path even become interesting to you, entertaining to you? So we live in a society where I'm afraid even people who claim Christ are following their own understanding and are not leaning on God in everything. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And this is a promise, this is definite. There's no if, and, or but here. There's no suggestion. He will direct your paths. I can tell you, in my life, I have experienced the joy of an open door and the reflective meditation, sometimes disappointment, of a closed door. But if whatever door you're seeking, if that path is placed completely in God's care, you trust God, God knows how to get your attention and wait on God, the time will come, a door will open or a door will close. And if it closes and it was a door that you wanted opened, you only can just take a deep breath and say, thank you, God, trust him, finally the door will open. I know how to experience this. I've been there. I know what it's like to have my path directed by God, and surely you do as well. Well, this is, this is the successful path. To begin with, it might not be the path that you always thought you would follow. But if it's God's path, it's going to be far better than any other path that you could have made in your own understanding. He will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear Yahweh. Depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. There's something to be said about the sufferings of anxiety. There's something to be said about how the nervous system raising the blood pressure through doubt and confusion and a lack of faith toward Yahweh will affect a person physically. If, if it is revealed to me what I did wrong to get gout, I'll tell you. It's probably being too fat. I don't know. 
But it is true, and, and you'll find this in, in science, in medical science. People who are filled with doubt and fear, anxieties, most of the time they only try to project themselves into a world of what if and into a world of tomorrow when tomorrow doesn't even exist. They keep living in a false land somewhere and they, they embroil themselves into a nervous condition that affects the body. What if a person seeks to live humbly and simply before the Lord, trusting the Lord for all of his needs and his direction? He doesn't have, he doesn't have near the anxieties in his life, but he finds peace and consolation because he has experienced unfailingly, infallibly. He has experienced that God has always taken care of him. It may not have been the way that he wanted to take care of, but who's he to say that the other way would have been worse? Christ, in our study in Luke, is giving this great contrast between the Pharisees who were lovers of money and those poor sinners who were coming to believe in him. And the contrast then is made. And Christ, Christ has said, and so did the writer to the Proverbs, in Proverbs say, this will bring death upon you. This won't give you a happy life, nor will it give you a, a happy ending. So fear Yahweh, depart from evil. Follow the path he has you on. Trust him in everything. Pray about everything. I don't care. Well, Lord, how, what am I going to eat tonight? Every, just pray. God gives no reproach when we seek after the wisdom of God. What is it, James? He, he, it's not like God is saying, oh, he takes a deep breath and says, here he comes again. He doesn't do that. He joyfully receives the request. So, fear Yahweh, depart from me. Be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the provision that Yahweh gives. Honor Yahweh with your possessions. You wouldn't have them if the Lord hadn't given them to you. And with all the first fruits of your increase as well, honor Him. So your barns will be filled with, with plenty. I am so fast on that uh, keyboard that I can hit an H and it'll just fly right by it. Sometimes you have to throw water on that keyboard to keep the fire down. So when you see something like that, it's all on me and I missed an, I hit an H, but it didn't collect. With plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. This means that you're going to be provided for. God will provide for you. Why? Because you honored Yahweh. The first fruits of your increase. I read an interesting commentary on Proverbs when I was preparing to preach this. And a scholar noted so many parallels between the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Proverbs. There's so many things. You know, you talk about the first fruits. We, we, we know about that. Studying the, 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 the law of tithe, tithing and so forth and the law of the first fruits. 
it's brought back to mind here. The point of the teacher is that Yahweh is the one who provides for you. You should honor him with possessions and with first fruits of the increase. It doesn't say if you have increased. It doesn't say that. There's no, there's no room for doubt here. With your possessions and with all the first fruits of your increase. So what is being said? If God is first in your life and in all the stuff that he has provided for you, God will provide increase. Because you have such a heart that you honor God with it. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. That, that's the best news a guy could have had back in that culture, in that day. Accept correction when it comes from the Lord. My son, despise not the chastening of Yahweh, nor detest his correction. In that sentence, it's a given. You are a, we, we are flawed individuals. We are jars of clay and self in the weakest moments is going to overwhelm us and we're going to sin. And God will chasten us. He will correct us. For whom Yahweh loves, he corrects. Just as a father does the son in whom he delights. If as a younger father, I may have used this illustration before, but if as a younger father, I with my four little children and Pat are in Walmart, And all kinds of other parents are in there with their young children. And those other young children are running wild. Even to the point of being destructive. You know, an old retail guy, I can't stand. I can't stand to see undisciplined people just messing with the stock. <laughs> Somebody put a lot of effort in getting that stock all kinds of things could be going on by other people's kids, but those are not the ones I'm going to correct when they do wrong. It's mine. I'm watching mine in that place, and I will, why? Why will they be the ones that I would correct? Because I love them. They are my responsibility, and I love them, and I will correct them. So when the chastening comes, when the correction comes, we accept this as a loving action from a loving heavenly father who delights in us. And in that delight wants to keep us on the path. And he may have to snap us on the nose every once in a while to keep us where we go. Number two, arguments for wisdom. There's a practical side and a theological side. So lose the practical side. It's a beatitude. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. 
He has the blessing of God stamped on his life. For better are her proceeds, that is, the proceeds of wisdom, than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand, and riches and honor in her left hand. Now the word riches is a Hebrew word that doesn't just mean money. One of the greatest lessons in life for people to learn is that there are a whole lot of things in life that are worth more to you in life than the profits of silver or the gain of fine gold or a bag full of precious rubies or everything that you ever want or could desire. Now remember, Solomon is doing the talking. I think it's good, although Proverbs was written before Ecclesiastes. It's generally believed that the Song of Solomon was written by a very young Solomon, a romantic young man. Proverbs in his, in the, in his middle life, but then Ecclesiastes at the end of his life. We know what happened to Solomon. So we keep in mind that the proof is in the pudding. He, he says m many of the same things in a summary fashion in, in Ecclesiastes. And he says, I've been there. I didn't follow what a man ought to follow. I went down my own path and I found ruin. I found sleepless nights. I became old before my time. I failed in so many ways. Solomon came to realize the truth of what he writes here, inspired of the Lord. All the things you may desire. You know, one of the things that Solomon says in Ecclesiastes is this. He said, if I put my eyes on it and I wanted it, I got it. That's what he said. That's, that's a Owen's simplified version. That's what he said. If I saw it, I don't care what it was, and I wanted it, I got it. In Solomon's case, it would have been the best house. It would have been the best vehicle. It would have been the best clothes. It would have been the, the, the thousand top women in the world. It was, what, 700 wives, 300 concubines. It would have been gold mines. All he had to do was just go somewhere and stick in a shovel, and he found gold. What a guy. If he wanted to, if he wanted to increase production, he would start a, a, a maritime naval. And the Bible talks about how he had these ships that would go and trade with other countries. He, all he had to do was put the stuff on a ship and send it out and go trade, and they would come back with more stuff, more money, more goods. He was, he, he, was always, he was always in the black. He was always positive in his trades. He was just, it was almost magical. It wasn't magical, it was divine. God was doing anything he desired, but look at what lack of wisdom did to his life at the end of it. It was vanity. Empty, like a mist. 
All the things you may desire cannot compare with wisdom. She gives length, she gives length of days in her right hand. It keeps going back to the healthy longevity of people who just follow basic principles of life that are taught in the Bible. That's amazing. And riches and honor in her left hand. Under, under that word riches, you could say a healthy family. You could say, you could say a washer and dryer that lasts for 20 years. A transmission in the truck that never goes bad. All kinds of ways to count riches. And then, of course, the honor, the dignity of, of such a life. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. And all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. And all who retain her are happy. I got to tell you this. We have our we have mother this week. She goes back to my sister tomorrow. But it was spring break, and, and Pat was available to keep her. And I can understand she she really enjoys the older shows, and you can find them, you know, mostly black and white, but you can find them. So today I watched. Father knows best. <laughs> Just, you, yeah. you would think those people would be tarred and feathered today. That guy, Robert Young, would never get a job. Jane Wyatt would be laughed out of town. Sweet little obedient kids. You know, I mean, it's just so unbelievable. But then I'm thinking... Because I had this message on my mind, and I'm thinking, you know, I know that it's play acting, and I know that here are people on set, and there's sound people and camera people and light people. I understand that. But just to take in the principle of the show, which was a reflection of the culture of the day. And I'm thinking, how pleasant, how pleasant is this household? It's orderly, they prayed at their table. The daddy quoted scripture. The little girl found a bird that was nearly dead. And on about two or three different scenes, they quoted the Bible. <laughs> they all went to the dinner table. They were dressed fit to kill, you know. They starched all their stuff right before they sat down for dinner. I don't know. Dear old dad always had his tie on. Had a neat felt hat that he wore when he would go out the door. The strong bond between the husband and the wife, the father and the mother, and the parents and the children, because they were orderly. I know it was play acting, but behind the script was the set of principles that we see in the book of Proverbs. It was pleasant. Now, you take kids these days and put them back in that house, oh, man, you know. Or maybe even mom and dad, I don't know. The ways of wisdom are pleasant. Her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. 
And all who retain her are happy. Now that could be placed under the broad spectrum of riches. To have a pleasant home. A peaceful home. A happy home. This is what God teaches here. Then there's a theological side. By wisdom, Yahweh founded the earth. He established the heavens by understanding. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and the clouds dropped down the deep. Okay. Creation was no small thing. Creation, and the farther along we go, the more we realize how orderly and what a supreme being it was who put together the laws of nature and physics and chemistry and science and so forth that made the universe into a cosmos, into this perfectly balanced, fine-tuned thing that is beyond our current way of measuring. We don't know how big it is. But here are these macro bodies like planets and galaxies, and then here are these micro bodies like atoms and neutrons and protons and electrons. The same laws of physics operate on every level. This is Yahweh's wisdom and his understanding. Now here's what the writer of the Proverbs says. He says, believe me when I tell you, the God who made everything orderly the way that it is can put order into your life. Look what he did with the universe. Look what he did with, with, with the earth after the flood. This was such a horrific event with the depths, the deep parts being, fountains of the deep being broken up. And then the way the hydrological system completely changing from water coming up to water falling down. But he still kept, he still kept cosmos and not chaos. Even, even though the way of the earth flipped upside down after the, after the uh, flood. God still Held everything together because of who he is. So, what are you going through? What, what, kind of, what, what are you going through in life? Well, look what he did. Just follow the rules that he gives us. Then there are these admonitions to reverence. Guard wisdom. Guard sound wisdom and purpose. Watch them carefully. Let them not depart from your eyes, so they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your land and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you won't be afraid. And when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. One of the things that Solomon says, he contrasts his life with the life of a poor laborer. Man who makes his money, he goes home, he's, he's being sustained, but he doesn't have anything like Solomon has. So Solomon has these investments and all this stuff going on all over his part of the world and he has all of his nation's economy tied up and, and he's, his mind is just solely on what more can I get, what more can I get and here's what he says in the book of Ecclesiastes again an, an Owen's simplified translation that guy who goes to work every day gets his wage and comes home, he goes to sleep he has no problem going to sleep and me, for all that I have, I can't ever get to sleep. So here's what he says. Follow the ways of Yahweh. Wisdom. The purpose in your life. Your sleep will be sweet. 
Don't be afraid of disaster. Don't be afraid of terror nor of the roaring of the wicked when it comes. It's going to come. Every life faces storms. For Yahweh will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. I got to hurry here. I didn't know I was going to take the whole. Counsel to generosity. Don't withhold from those to whom it's due when it's in your power to do so. Whoops, there we go. Come back tomorrow and don't say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I will give it when, when you have it with you. When it's in your pocket and it belongs to him, give it to him. Don't withhold it from him. That's wrong. Do not devise evil against your neighbor for he dwells by you for safety's sake. Something, something really to be said about good neighbors, you know. I've had them both ways. Don't strive with a man without cause if he's done you no harm. Don't envy the violent man. Don't choose any of his ways. For the perverse person is an abomination to Yahweh. But Yahweh's secret counsel is with the upright. God will whisper in his ear in a spiritual way which way he's supposed to go. Let me go ahead and finish here. Conclusion. The curse of Yahweh is on the house of the wicked. But he blesses the home of the just. Surely he mocks the mocker, but gives grace to the humble. The wise will inherit glory, but fools will be the legacy of shame. I'm going to have to stop there. It's time for us to have deacon prayer time.